Dan Quigley, welcome back to the, uh, the hot seat. Uh, last time we were sat here, we were just about to go into the Scottish elections um, and wondering whether an SNP majority would move the needle um, on sterling at all and its, uh, you know, its future outlook. I think it's probably fair to say that it did next to nothing. Um, and actually, to a broader piece, the market in that time has done next to nothing. So what exactly is or isn't probably the better term going on out there at the moment? Well, yeah, as, as you mentioned, we've sort of seen a... Uh a period of relatively low volatility in between uh, economic events. Um, the market is very much fixated on uh, on how each economy comes out of uh, the pandemic and, and continues to, to rebuild. Um, and it seems to be um, a battle between the central banks somewhat at the moment. Um, we're looking at, at different data releases and, and how that leads into inflation expectations. Uh, and therefore, higher expe inflation expectations in a particular country increases the likelihood of, of higher interest rates. As it stands at the moment, um, there's still a number of government support packages in place which are distorting the data. Um, we've got base effects going on from uh, particularly low levels um, last year, uh, and we're just starting to come out of that again now, um, probably as we head into July and August, uh, when we started to recover last year those numbers are going to start to become more comparable again. Um, but what we are noticing is that as we're progressing through the year, I think each major data event that we're coming across is starting to have a more significant impact on the market. Um, and and you know, it feels like we kind of sit on our hands and wait um, between these events. But when they are occurring, you know, it's giving us a little bit more of a glimpse into what's going on out there. Um, and the market is becoming more and more sensitive to those particular events over time. Sure. I mean, I agree. It does seem to be that, you know, regardless of the data, the non-farm payrolls, it's, it's not about payrolls, really. It's about, you know, how many people are going to be spending, therefore how quick is inflation going to go, therefore how quickly are the bank going to be forced into a, into a corner. It all seems to just dial back to that one piece of, of crucial data that, I'm, I'm, you know, that everyone's waiting for. But it just seems strange to me that we were at two-and-a-half-ish percent Fed funds rate ahead of going into all of this. You know, they've cut it right the way back, but, you know, a 25 basis point hike at this time, you know, almost feels incidental. Yeah, potentially you're right, but I think, a, you know, a 25 basis point hike from when the Fed funds rate's at 25 basis points is, you know, quite a big change. Um, and especially if the Fed's going to be the first central bank to move. Um, because you know, I, I guess that signals the fact that the, the US economy is significantly ahead of the rest of the world. Um, and uh, you know, if we're looking at inflation rates that we've seen in the last few releases, we've got the US CPI at 5% year on year, which is massive. Um, we've got the UK, the last one was around 2%, and then the Eurozone, you're at about a percent. Um, if these sorts of levels are to hang around um, and uh, that, that's going to start to force these central bankers' hands. When they start to move, um, you know, the, the moves could be significant, um, especially if you start to see moves in, uh, you know, in the US in particular. Um, you know, when the dollar starts to move, you, you either jump on or you get left behind, basically. Um, you know, we saw last year, as you mentioned, the, the Fed fund rate come down from 2.5% down to 0.25%. Um, whereas the ECB moved from negative four to negative 0.5, so a tiny move. Um, giving up that, that yield advantage saw the dollar probably depreciate around 10%. If we're to see that, that yield advantage start to be restored, um, then you could see 
potentially big moves start to come back through into the dollar. And we talk about euro dollar in, in, in particular here because um, you know that really is the key currency pair. I think it makes up about 28% of all um, uh, FX trading volume. Uh, so when you start to see euro dollar move in that particular way, um, then you know sterling dollar, everything else is going to get dragged along with it. I mean, U.S. inflation feels like a, um, a foregone conclusion at this point. And I get what you're saying about base effects. You know, we you know, you go into a, a pandemic, everything shuts down, prices fall. Um, so therefore, you're starting from a low base when things pick up again. But the amount of money the Fed's chucked into the market there, Biden's just about to get a trillion bucks through um, in infrastructure spending as well, which is going to trickle into the economy as well. I mean, the only way is up, isn't it, really? And it's just a question mark of, of when. But are other economies going to not suffer the same fate, but are they going to find themselves in that position as quickly? Or does the US you know, streak ahead six months a year ahead of anyone else, do you think? Yeah, I think that's the, that's, that's the key question at the moment. And like you say, the, the US has done more than everyone else. Um, and it's probably no accident that they're in the position that they're in uh, based on that. Um, but, you know, there are, um, I, I guess, levels of support in other economies as well. Um, and perhaps some of the rebound in, in some of these other economies is more organic. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's going to come down to, you know, a, it's a relative battle between, uh, between each nation, and, and that's going to reflect, um, and, and who comes out of this best, that's going to be reflected in, in the data that we see and the exchange rates. But, yeah. uh, you know, there's, uh, there's a number of different schemes going on in the UK, um, and you know potentially the UK is still seen as, as an attractive place to invest. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of uh, investment M&A activity. We've seen a potential purchase of a big supermarket chain uh, from an overseas investor. Um, so you know I think potentially on a global scale the UK is still not seen as uh, you know maybe it's seen as somewhere that's still a little bit undervalued. Maybe the pound is still seen as slightly undervalued, and there it's. A good, a good time to, to buy UK assets, but um, you know, I think the government's doing doing bits and pieces and doing what they can. Um, there's a number of subsidies that they're putting in place <laughs> yeah. as well. Uh, maybe something that, uh, that that you've paid a bit of attention to. Well, I just yeah, it was the, the the Nissan news that they're building a gigafactory, and, and Boris won't say how much the government's chipped in towards it, which I think like, is, is great. We need to get on the front foot with technologies, especially when you look at automotive. Um, in, in the UK and how big a part that is to the economy. It's, it's nothing but good news. But I just, you know, you reference it to the US and you think actually a trillion dollars of, of infrastructure in the US should probably look like a hundred billion sterling's worth of infrastructure investment by the UK government if we wanted to go like for like. Um, and God only knows what the EU would, would say to that, particularly if it's you know, direct support of private initiative. Whereas I think the EU's approach, albeit on a state-by-state -state basis, is you know, here's your infrastructure money, spend it wisely, but probably spend it over time, and therefore there won't be any subsidy rules. So I just wonder if we're upsetting, if you can upset the relationship we've got with the EU at the moment anymore, whether this is going to be something that's going to cause a lot of friction. And then ultimately, I guess the small moves that we have seen, um, you know, from, from a sterling perspective, there is a lot of back and forth over the Northern Ireland Protocol, and we've just got three months extension to the grace period um, which should calm things down but if it doesn't look like there's a longer term resolution and as good as the EU are kicking the can down the road which we saw you know you'll remember the Greek debt crisis as well you know that was just 11th hour 
let's move on, 11th hour, let's move on for about two or three years. Um, but at some point, the market's going to question whether the UK has got a long-standing trade relationship that can be built upon or whether we're at this level now that actually we're, we're foregoing that and looking into you know, the Pacific partnerships and things like that to try and find growth, which is a much longer-term perspective. And that, for me, is, is there a, a justifiable gain in sterling over the course of the rest of this year and into next? I think more than likely it hinges on that. So. Yeah. And let's not forget about the financial services provision as well, which is... Lest we forget. <laughs> still, uh, still hopefully bubbling away in the background. Yeah, you'd hope. I mean, you don't hear much on it. And normally it's no news is good news. But um, it, it does feel like, you know, all the time that this goes on, um, you know, the, the European bourses are just picking up business and clearing um, and taking it away from us, which gives us less argument and less of a, um, you know, sort of a, a key man risk in, in the UK that they want to try and satisfied by giving us a, a more level playing field so I don't know I mean you know some great minds hopefully working on the, the solution but we're yet to see anything really and they did say that it would be in and around March that we'd, we'd get something yeah. so we're only a few months behind. Yeah I think Rishi came out the other day and mentioned that it's uh, it's it's been pushed out a little bit longer but uh, yeah let's see at least it's something that they are potentially yeah. thinking about. And I think Rishi very wise to the fact that you know the financial services is you know 70 billion of, of tax revenue and you know you need to find something for that. And if you're not going to get that revenue, or you're going to lose some of that revenue um, to, to the EU, then actually let's get out there quickly and use the fintech platform that we've got to try and to push into into other markets. So hopefully he's got his fingers on the pulse. Um, time will tell. Yeah. Uh, given the, uh, I, I guess what's going on at the in the UK at the moment, and we're, it, it feels like a lot of the the chatter around the market seems to be um, somewhat. UK negative in terms of what we've talked about with the borders. Um, we've got the, the Delta variant. Um, even the Bank of England's slightly more dovish than, you know, than what we're seeing out of the UK. Um, and maybe thinking about the cyclical nature of, you know, of sentiment in the market, do you think this is the bottom in terms of bad news for the UK and we get better from here? Or where, where do you think we go to over yeah. the next little while? I mean, I hope so. Um... I mean, if we, if, we, if we win the Euros, then I think that, you know, that's definitely a quick acceleration up. But it is cyclical, isn't it? And, and if we can go through this, this cycle, and actually, you know, Delta variant terrible, but, you know, first in, first out in, in many ways as well. Um, and we are seeing an awful lot of progress. You know, I think, you know, what, July 19th, we should be um, business as usual and potentially some international travel. Um, and that hopefully will stem the, um, you know, any more downward trends that we've seen but you know as, as Ian was saying earlier we were talking about the, uh, um, the the train journey he had from Birmingham and you know, it's still empty people aren't ready to, to come back in yet yeah well yeah. I think like in terms of you know you, you know we talk about people not really really being a hundred percent ready to commit to uh, to coming back to work or you know or what the next step is because you know we've been we've been burnt a few times already in the past and you know it kind of feels like the, the similar sort of thing in the market right now and that um, you know, we've got a few people sitting on the sidelines. You look at um, you know, implied volatility at the moment and the options market is down, it's about 50% lower on the, uh, on the three-month cable implied, implied volatility um, from September last year. It's about 25% lower from the start of this year. So what that shows is that uh, you know, people are really just sitting and waiting to see what the next catalyst might be um, and, and, and looking to see um, you know where that might come from, and you know, hopefully, as we 
uh, gain a bit more confidence and, and head through you know, the, the, the next couple of months. We'll start to get a, a clearer picture on that. Um, but I, so I was just going to say on, on that, though, I think that we're used to, or for the last 12, 15 months, we've been used to big changes in numbers. You know, things have come in double digits down, you know, high single digits up. And actually, as we get more on an even keel, then actually the market's going to have to respond to what is normalised data. Yeah. And actually a 0.2% move in something is actually an event. And I think once we can get to that point, then maybe things start moving again to a certain degree because it has been very, very static. I read the other day that um, um, retail investors now are making up such a large part of you know, not just FX markets, but you know, less probably fixed income, but equity markets as well. That actually, you get less big institutional moves. And a lot of these retail traders are taking out some of the noise from the markets by making a lot of smaller bets and smaller positions. And I wonder if that, though, counter to um, you know, markets wanting to move again, actually sort of maintains um, you know, a much smaller ripple when something does happen. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, whether or not that uh, yeah, feeds through into the, into the FX market or not as well, um, I, I guess is, is, to, is to, be, uh, to be determined. But yeah. uh, A lot of retail traders to make up four or five trillion dollars in, in global volumes a day. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but you never know, there might be some, uh, some, some big hitters out there. We'll watch this place. Around. So yeah, I think from a volatility perspective, you know, it's been quiet, the markets have barely moved, and that was before summer. Now we've got six, eight weeks ahead of us where it actually feels like normally in traditional markets things wouldn't particularly move. Do you see any reason for that to be different this year? Seems that uh, you know, the consensus around the market is that people are starting to step away from the trading desks already and um, uh, that we're, we're going to come back maybe in July or August and, and see how the dust has settled. Um, but the... You know, the biggest risk to the market is always the, the unknown unknowns. Um, and at the end of the day, if you're thinking about things from a risk management perspective, um, those are the things that we need to be protecting. About. protecting. The things that, are, you know, that we know about that potentially hurt the pounder, you could argue already priced into the currency that we see today, into the rate that we see today. So you know, we talk about low levels of implied volatility at the moment. Buying insurance with an FX option is, is relatively cheap. Um, so that might be a, a different way to look at hedging some of your some of your risk, um, but uh, yeah, as it stands at the moment, um, uh, the, the market is still very much focused on these these data points, um, and uh, you know I guess the key thing that that everyone sort of has in the back of the mind is whether this rollout continues to go smoothly or not, uh, and whether or not there's something else that could potentially blow up there that, that could affect the markets. Like you say, the, uh, the Donald Rumsfeld, the unknown unknowns. I think it was him that coined the phrase, or Dick Cheney, but uh, oh, yeah. good. watch this space and see. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for, for coming back in and, and uh, let's see where, where we are in a few months' time and see what predictions we have to scrub from existence <laughs> uh, or which ones we got right, hopefully more than less. Perfect. Great stuff. Thanks.